so easy to get caught up with the craziness of uh, the holidays, eh? So much stuff going on, so much, so much stuff to do, uh, so many people on the roads, um, all the craziness of that, and it's nice to just kind of pause for a moment and just kind of be quiet. I hope you take some time uh, over the next week or so to just kind of be calm, to be quiet, to be restful. Um, you know, as, as it's so awesome to see actually a really good, even a good crowd with the weather and our second gathering tonight. It's so good to, to have you guys with us. And um, when I was just thinking about this evening, I was thinking about how can we communicate the heart and the hope of what Christmas is all about and what the story of Jesus' birth is. And I, was, I came across this story um, from 1847, okay? This guy's name is Placide Capot. Placide Capot, you can guess that he's French. He's from France. He was a wine merchant. Uh, he was a mayor of his town, but he was also a poet. And so one day, the priest in his town asked him to write a Christmas poem, and they kind of commissioned him to do that. So he was kind of racking his brain, how can, how can I write this Christmas poem for the priest? And so um, nothing was coming to him. And then one day he was taking this trip to Paris. And back in that day, he was on a horse and buggy. So he was kind of bumping along and twists and turns. And he was thinking about Luke's, Luke's version, the gospel writer Luke's version of Jesus' birth. And he just kept kind of thinking about that in his mind. And he decided, you know what, let me... What if I was there? What would it be like with my, um, if I was kind of sitting there with the shepherds or seeing Mary and Joseph pass by or be a witness at the inn when they didn't get accepted? And so he, he puts himself in that moment and he actually, by the end of his trip, he writes what's called Le Cantique de Noël. And so he writes this poem, he arrives in Paris, and he's thinking, this poem is too good just to stay for words. And he looks for somebody to write music to it. So he finds a musician friend in Paris, they come together, and this musician writes these words, or writes uh, music to these words. And his poem is realized as a song. Fifty years later, it gets recorded for the first time in 1906 on AM radio, and it's now known as O Holy Night. And uh, this, this song that describes uh, just the beauty and grandeur and majesty of this event. Well, the, one of my favorite lines of this song, and you can probably finish it with me, right? It says like, a thrill of... You guys were better than the last crowd and you're less, but we'll just try again. Are you ready? A thrill of... Oh, that was, you didn't even get louder. Okay, forget it. I won't even, okay, I want you guys, you know, you made it through the snow. I get it. You're tired. So there's this, just the beauty of that, right? This thrill of hope that happens on this night 2,000 years ago. There's all kinds of thrills in the story, right? There's the adventure of it, the intrigue, the mystery of it, the divinity of it, this idea that God is doing something. But, you know, more than the excitement and more than the fireworks kind of, of you know, what we imagine in our minds, there's really the simple, beautiful message that we hear. And it's just two lines in Luke chapter 2, uh, verse 10 and 11. And I just want to read it here. And this is what the angel says to the shepherds. He says, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born. I love that first part. I bring to you good news for all people. Now, just put yourself in first century Palestine, put yourself in the shoes of the Jewish people at the time, and if you can imagine Israel's mood in the first century, they weren't really hopeful people. They were actually kind of, they felt like they had lost hope. 
Because a few things were kind of making this uh, real for them. One, they, they sat under Rome's oppressive rule. If you were not a Roman citizen, you were not regarded well. And so they weren't, but they were under Roman rule. And so they sat under the oppression of Rome. They sat under the crushed expectations of, of a demanding religion. Their faith had over centuries become filled with structures and systems and duties and obligations and then this, this kind of class even of citizens among themselves that heaped that onto them. And so they felt crushed under the demanding expectations of their religion. And they felt controlled by this king, called himself the king of the Jews. He was really Rome's puppet, but he was there to kind of manage the Jewish people. His name was King Herod, one of the most narcissistic, selfish people you might meet at the time. This is what they felt like. This was the mood of the people who received this message. So imagine waiting for this prophetic promise to happen that God would one day do something great, that God one day would free them again, that God one day would bring uh, them to where they're meant to be. And they're waiting and waiting in 400 years of silence. No prophet says a word. And then enters Jesus. And this baby is born. First, I mean, at first, yeah, sure, he's only a baby. They don't know his potential. They don't know his power. But they know something significant has happened. This moment is filled with hope. And it's good news. It's joy. Just imagine what they're feeling as they are receiving this. This promised king not, is way better than Herod's selfish rule. This promised Messiah or Lord is way better than, Rome, than Romans, the Roman rule. This promised Savior come to restore their broken religion and, and then fulfill God's plan that everybody would come to know who he is. So this is good news. This is a promised king, a promised Messiah, a promised Savior, and a promise fulfilled because this baby's born. Now, who wouldn't be thrilled with hope if you were them in that moment? But, you know, I don't know about you, but I know we, we throw the word hope around like, like pennies, you know? You know, you hope for something. I hope for this. I'm hope, I'm, I hope I'm not going to be late tonight. I hope it doesn't snow, right? I hope it does snow, right? Like there's things that just out of our control that we hope for. It's like wishful thinking. I think the, the most common one is like, I hope I find that parking spot at the mall, right? And uh, I don't know, but that's kind of what I hope for. But anyways, so the other night, Frank and I went shopping here at Fairview, and um, we, we come up towards Fairview, and we're, we're just getting into the parking lot, and I tell my wife right away, I'm like, Frank, don't even, let's not bother. Let's just park here. We'll walk. I don't care if we walk 10 minutes. We're never going to find a spot. No, no, Dave. It's going to, trust me. So, so we, we keep driving. I'm like, Frank, we can park on the street. It's going to be better than this. She's like, just follow my lead. I'm like, okay. So turn here. I turn we're coming up this kind of path in the parking lot, and then all of a sudden, two backlights go on. Like two, not one. Two backlights go on. There's hope in the car at that moment. And we were 50 feet from the door, and we found this parking spot. Now, that's because my wife is a genius, and she's awesome, and she's just intuitive about parking, I guess. But that doesn't normally happen, right? You're, wishful, you're wishing that stuff happens. It doesn't always happen. That's the kind of hope that we often talk about. But the Christmas story is not filled with that kind of wishful thinking. The Christmas story is not that kind of hope. The Christmas story is God promised to bring hope through his Messiah. And Jesus showed up in the flesh as a baby in human history, just like God promised. It wasn't wishful thinking. 
And Jesus, not an ordinary baby. In fact, one of the gospel writers, John, says that it's the word became flesh and he associates the word with God and said God became flesh. God came and lived among us, moved into our neighborhood. And that's good news to all people. You know, Mary's mother wrote this song after she was told that this was going to take place. And if, if we could, we're not going to read it now, but like she says some amazing things. She, she discerns what's going to happen through this baby. She says that mercy will be extended to, to everyone. How many of us would love mercy right now? How many of us messed up this week and would love kind of a handout of mercy? Mercy would be extended, that the proud would be scattered that, that the evil and unjust rulers would be brought down, that the humble would be lifted up, that the hungry would be filled. And as this baby grows into who we know as Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Christ, he begins to feed the hungry, he begins to give sight to the blind and heal the sick, he begins to speak truth to the unjust rulers of his time. In fact, just the fact that people called him Lord and Savior got Rome upset. His followers continued doing the same thing. They fed and, and brought healing and hope and spent time with the sick and clothed the naked and, and buried the dead with dignity, and they stood up to the unjust powers of their time. And that same theme, those same themes, that same hope has kind of ushered throughout history. People, because of that hope, have brought hope to others. And see, the hope of Christmas is like God's justice on display. This fully promised future when God one day will finish the story, will restore all things, but we see it taking place in human history. Maybe, I don't know about you, but sometimes we'll think like, well, hope for everybody, that's nice. But what about me? Hope for all people, good news for all people, but what about me? There's this... Um, Harvard professor I came across a couple of weeks ago, and uh, he was a professor of psychology in the 90s at Harvard, wrote many articles and essays, and he started to notice this quick increase of depression in North America. This is like 1998, like 20 years ago, and he does all these studies and surveys and research, and he comes to determine that just at that time, just in America, not North America, there's 11 million people that they would identify as having as being depressed or, or, or dealing with depression. And 250,000 of them don't have the hope to live of these 11 million people. This was 20 years ago he started to notice this, that people have nowhere to turn in a secular society when hope is lost. Interesting, because most people, most people we hope with wishful thinking. Well, if I have more money, or if I have uh, you know, a better partner or friend, or more friends, or maybe if that friend wasn't in my life, like these kind of hopeful thoughts, and, and uh, if I got married or something, or got this job, or if I got the new smartphone, the Pixel 2 would change my life forever. It's just awesome. <laughs> he, he says these words. I want to read uh, just some of his words that he, he shared. He said, historians and social scientists tell us that we have fewer spiritual resources to draw from than any time in Western history. Many young people today feel that their cultures fail to provide answers to questions of purpose and meaning and destiny. We fail, they feel, to provide some reason for hope. The consequence is that we are known 
uh, that we are known a cultural crisis and now are living in what's being called the age of despair. This guy writes this 20 years ago. I bet you you're reading it now and thinking like, that sounds like today. That sounds like, imagine that was happening and now what is taking place. And here, here's the thing, right? The angel doesn't just tell the shepherds, good news for all people, but I love what the angel says next. He says, a savior is born to you. A savior is born to you. Makes it so personal, so real, and brings it right down. Because here's the reality. The hope of Christmas is not just for all people. The hope of Christmas is also for one person, and that's you, and you, and me. The hope of Christmas is not just for all people. I mean, it's great that it's for all people. It's not just for me, but the truth is it's also for me, and it's also for you. Last Christmas, uh, we surprised our kids with a gift, and we were going to Toronto, and uh, they love to hang out with their cousins, but we were coming back um, early, just spent a couple of days there, and we thought, oh, it'd be so cool for them if we got them a train ticket back from Toronto to Montreal. So um, we had wrapped up this box and put a bunch of paper in it, and kind of they had to look for it, and they opened the box, and then they finally like, get to the train ticket, and they're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe... They're like freaking out, right? And I thought, it's only Toronto, but it's cool. Um, but they were so excited because, see, here's the thing, right? Because we, we, this happens to us. We see other people win stuff or get stuff. You ever watch the Ellen show when it's like, everybody look under your chair. There's a $100 gift card for everybody. And everybody claps, right? They freak out. Everybody gets a car or something. or what? I don't know about you. I never won any. I would rarely win things. You know, the rare thing I won, I'd, I was just so happy about because it's like one thing in my life. And so we see everybody get stuff or win stuff. And we see that kind of thing. But then when it's us, when it's me, when it's you, it feels so different. And that's the beauty of this Christmas hope. This hope is that it's, it's not only offered from God to all of us, but it's offered from God to you and from God to me. So here's what Christmas hope tells us. Christmas hope tells us that hope is already available. This is amazing because the birth of Jesus triggered God's offer of forgiveness and love and mercy and family for anyone who would believe in him. Christ's birth triggered that. It already happened. And because it already happened, hope is already available. It's not just coming. It's not just somewhere in the future. It's already available. So hope is already available. But you know what's also true about hope? Hope is often missed. We often miss it. We often miss it, even when it's like right in front of us. I mean, as thrilling as this story is, as told by the gospel writers, it's also pretty ordinary. Two people looking for a place to stay. Then they end up giving birth to a baby in a manger, you know, where animals are. It's not like a palace you know, no Twitter feed with 100,000 followers tweeted that. You know, nobody, it's just a simple, ordinary thing. The shepherds are out in a field, you know. This is not plastered all over the place. Too often we look for hope in the obvious, and we miss it in the ordinary. We look for it in these big things, and we miss it sometimes when it's right in front of us. So I feel bad for the innkeeper in the story of, of Christ's birth, because I can just imagine him, you know, this, these two people come and they're really desperate for a place to stay and 
you know, Mary has to give birth, and the innkeeper says, sorry, no room at the inn, right? Kind of the traditional way of saying that. There was no vacancy, and so they move on, and Jesus is born in a manger. But imagine like two, three days later, a week later, I don't know how long it took for the news to get around, that this innkeeper found out who this baby was and who was born. I mean, in today's days, it's like one of his friends posted on Facebook like four days later, is like, oh my goodness, honey, these people were at our inn. They're going to leave a bad review. <laughs> but it's like, what? they were here. We, if I would have known who it was, I would have given my bed. I would have slept on the floor or the couch. We they could have slept in our room. But they didn't even notice. Hope was right in front of them. Hope was right at their door, and they missed it. And I wonder if you and I are making room for hope, if sometimes we miss hope. So hope is, always, is, hope is available. Hope is often missed, but here's the beauty. Hope is just a decision away. Just a decision away. Because the hope that we read in this story is not found in the story. It's found in the person who's in the story. And that's Jesus. It's inside the story of Christ's birth that we have this invitation to believe, this invitation to trust, this invitation to put our faith in him. And here's this promise that's not only in this story, but in everything Jesus taught and everything Jesus did. The promise is that when you believe in him, you get living hope. You get living hope. Not just a future hope, which is part of the deal. You get living hope. Jesus, in fact, said these words. He, he said these words. We can read it in one of the Gospels. I think in John's Gospel, he says, anyone who be would believe in me, he said, rivers of living water will flow from them. What an amazing promise. That anybody who would choose to put their trust, to believe, rivers of living water, joy, peace, God's very own presence and hope would flow out of them. It, it looks like this. It means that, that he forgives our past and present wrongs because his mercy is extended. It, it means that, that our life is filled with his life. It, that hope means that, that, you know what I mean? It means we can have wisdom beyond our wisdom. We have access to God's wisdom when we put our trust in him and begin a relationship with him. That's hope. I mean, how many of us just in the last day wish we had better wisdom? And this is part of what it means to come to know who God is through Jesus. And there's this relief and this joy that comes with that. And then here, this is, this is amazing too, because when we are filled with that hope, then it overflows and other people are affected with that hope. Other people are affected. Other people can experience that. The forgiveness you feel when someone wrongs you and you choose to forgive they're blessed because they're encouraged by it. They're impacted. And all of a sudden, your hope becomes something that impacts them. When you have a greater peace and you emit that peace to others, when you have a joy that spreads, when you have mercy that you've experienced, you give mercy to others, and all of a sudden it overflows. That's so amazing. But here's the thing. It's just a decision away. It's like at Christmas, God reached his hand towards us, and all we got to do is like reach back. All we got to do is it's already here. Sometimes we'll miss it, but he's saying just reach back. Just reach for the arm that has reached out to you and receive the hope that's already available. And all it requires is really saying, yes, God, I trust you. 
I'm going to put my faith in your son, Jesus. I'm done with putting my hope in everything else. I'm done with putting my hope in everything else. I want to put my hope in you, Jesus. And I want to welcome your forgiveness and your grace and your life. It's a decision away to say, Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, I long for this. But I get it. You know, in a, in a crowd that's here tonight and that was here before, we know we have just, there's probably people in the room that are maybe coming here just skeptical, looking for some kind of Christmas magic, <laughs> but skeptical. And you know what? I, I'm with you. I think Mary struggled with skepticism. I think like when God told her what was going to happen, she's like, I don't know if this is the real, I don't know. This is crazy. Like, why would I believe this? Why would, why would this happen to me? I'm sure she was skeptical. I'm sure she was, she was uh, you know, unbelieving in that moment. One author, his name is Tim Keller, he, he says these words. He says, Mary had every reason to be skeptical, but experience and evidence changed that for her. She had every reason to be skeptical. I think you and I would, but evidence and experience changed that. As she walked step by step through that journey of hers, responding to God, through her experience and what was taking place, all of a sudden, she started to put her trust and her faith, and she experienced this amazing hope. So as we move into this next song, just so you can listen to I'm going to encourage you just to take some time to think, to reflect. But maybe you're at that point where you say, I want, I want to decide for hope. And if that's you, even as we're singing this song, internally in your heart, you can make that step forward. And even if not, even if you just need to explore, sit, listen, reflect, and, uh, and just see what we have in store with this song and as we come to the close of our gathering. I'd love to take a moment and pray with you. And as we do, um, if your heart is kind of in that place to decide for hope, I just encourage you to maybe pray along with me. Um, Maybe some of my words can become some of your words. Uh, If not, if you're in that exploring stage, that exploring moment, then just, yeah, just take some time and think through some of the things we said tonight. But let let me pray. Father, we are so grateful to review, remind us of this story. God, we thank you for this monumental point in history where it's like you reached down for us. God, it is really a thrill of hope. And as, though, as much as there's majesty and grandeur and beauty and wonder and hope in it, Yeah, we're grateful that it also took place in the ordinary, on a dirt road, in a field, in a manger. God, thank you that your hope is available, and I pray we don't miss it tonight. So for some that uh, long to decide for hope, I pray that even as they choose you and choose to trust in you, they would be filled with an immeasurable amount of your hope because of Christ. Yeah, may this Christmas season, the next few days especially, in the start of 2018, God, may we be able to take the time to wonder, the time to reflect, the time to make room for you. God, help us to fight against Uh, some of the chaos that our culture is going to throw at us. So take these moments, God, and let you in. 
God, we pray this in Christ's name and just celebrate uh, this wonderful day together. In your name we pray. Amen.